Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Just to remind everybody that today's series is brought to you by Chagask in collaboration with Dairy Sustainability Ireland, Food Drink Ireland, Skillnet, and also the National Rural Network. So uh, in response to declining bird populations, the Irish government has declared a biodiversity emergency. Uh, so today we're going to discuss birds of conservation concern, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Anita Donaghy and Una Duggan from Birdwatch Ireland, who are going to discuss uh, the implications of these declining bird populations. You're both very, very welcome to the, the Signpost series. So uh, so really looking forward to today's discussion. Uh, Anita, you're going to give us a presentation in, in a moment, but maybe before we do that, if if I could just ask you about the, the work that you're doing in Birdwatch Ireland uh, in, in your area of conservancy, your responsibilities and so forth. Hey, thanks, Mark. So yes, um, I'm the um, Assistant Head of Conservation um, uh, in charge of species and land management. So most of my work is related to um, the practical implementation of work on the ground for a range of species from seabirds to breeding waders um, and also includes our reserves work. So um, quite a, a, a lot of work going on for us um, at the moment. That's, and that's mostly where I'm involved at the practical delivery end. Um, and um, so yeah, that's what I do mostly. And Una, you're you're working on the the, the policy side of uh, of things within Birdwatch Ireland. I know you you uh, were sitting on the Agri Food uh, Strategy Working Group, if, if I'm right on that. No, no, <laughs> you're feeding into it. I wasn't. Um, yeah. Um, so I um I, I work on advocacy for Birdwatch Ireland, and that means. Uh, uh, trying to um, get through to decision makers and to the wider public, I suppose, everybody about the importance of um, protecting and conservation of, of bird species, but also for healthy ecosystems. Um, so that, uh, that includes, um, I am the environmental pillar, one of the two environmental pillar re representatives to the CAP Consultative Committee, um, but I'm also on the steering committee of the environmental pillar and Stop Climate Chaos as well. So I'm would feed into other processes in that way. But just to say as well, Birdwatch Ireland has 15,000 members um, nationwide with 25 branches all around the country. Um, we have offices in, when they're open, in, in Letterkenny, um, Belmullet, Banagher and, and in Galway. So we're, we're an, the largest uh, conservation NGO in the country um, for biodiversity. Okay, well, what we'll do is we, we'll go straight to the presentation, Anita's presentation, and uh, we will take uh, questions afterwards um, and really looking forward to the discussion. As I said earlier, my name is um, Anita Donnelly. I'm the Head of Species and Land Management uh, with Birdwatch Ireland. And today I'm going to talk about birds of conservation concern in Ireland, or Bucky 4, as we call it, which is um, the fourth assessment of the status of birds in Ireland. And um, we've done four assessments. Um, as I mentioned, the first one was in 1999 and I was uh, the co-author of that report. And um, we've done them about once every seven years since. So this, this is number four, this is Bucky four. So um, this is 
as mentioned, the fourth assessment of the status of birds in Ireland since 1999. We've done them about once every seven years since then. And before I go on to talk about the list and what we find, I think it's just important to remember that birds are indicators of our wider environment. They are one of the best studied groups of organisms as well as being very visible. Um, and um, because of this, they are an excellent barometer of what is happening to our wider, bi our wider biodiversity. And I think we're all very aware of the fact that um, a healthy ecosystem has a variety and abundance uh, within it. It provides vital ecosystem services such as pollination, water purification and carbon storage. And these in turn are building blocks for life, food, water, clean air. And so declines in bird populations are barometers that we should pay attention to as they represent really um, uh, wider changes that are occurring in our ecosystems. So I just wanted to make that clear from the, from the start. So a bit more about the assessment then. Um, it's a scientific assessment uh, carried out by Birdwatch Ireland and our sister organisation in Northern Ireland, the Royal Society for Protection of Birds. Um, we base it on data from a variety of different bird studies and monitoring schemes that are happening across the island of Ireland. And we use standard quantitative criteria, which have um, been applied at a global, European and national level. And within Ireland, we also assess historical decline. We assess trends in bird population size and range, as well as other criteria. So all of these different criteria feed in to um, the assessment to come up with the list. So we use a traffic light approach. Um, there are three lists, the red, amber and green lists. And obviously the red list are the species that we are most concerned about. These are the species that are undergoing severe declines. And we class severe declines as, as a, a decline in range or population of greater than 50% over the last 25 years. Um, species that are on the amber list um, are experiencing more moderate declines, um, for example, in, in the region of 25 to 50 to 49% over the last 25 years. So these are the species that we want to look out for. They, they haven't uh, made it onto the red list yet, but they are species that we want to watch really. And then the green list are those species that don't meet these criteria and are species that were, were not currently um, they're not currently of significant conservation concern at present. So in this fourth assessment, Bucky 4, um, 211 bird species that occur in Ireland were assessed. And what we found was that 54 of these species are now on the red list, which is 26%, just over a quarter of all of the species which occur in Ireland are now um, on the red list. A further 79 or 37% are on the amber list. And collectively together, that makes 63% of species on the red or amber list. In other words, they're species that are in trouble. Most of these are in trouble in Ireland, so they are declining um, in uh, population or range in Ireland. But some other species are on the red or amber list for other reasons possibly because um, they are declining in Europe and Ireland holds an important proportion of their population. 
So the species that are on these lists are species that we really do want to take measures to protect. So 63% of the species that we have in Ireland being in trouble is basically, put simply, the worst status report of all the four Bucky assessments. And this is um, uh, obvious when we look at the numbers of species that are on the red list. In the first uh, assessment back in 1999, there was 18 species on the red list, and now that has jumped to 54. So the red list is getting longer, the green list is getting shorter, the amber list is also getting shorter, but that's mostly because more species are moving from amber to red rather than from amber to green. So trends are all going in the wrong direction, unfortunately. And so if we look a bit at, a bit, at these lists in a bit more detail, I'm going to talk um, in general about the list, but I am going to focus on farmland species um, uh, in a few moments. I just want to give you a flavour of um, the species that are on these lists. So on the red list, um, as we mentioned, there are 54 species. 17 of these have been added since the last assessment, since uh, Bucky 3, and three species have moved directly from the green list to the red list, which is quite unusual. And these three species are red wing, curly sandpiper and purple sandpiper. And uh, for the other species that are on the red list of those 54 species, they occur across a wide variety of habitats. So these are some of the species here on this slide you can see. Um, and some of these will be well known familiar species um, to everybody. So puffin, for example, um, is now on the red list, as is um, uh, razorbill and eider duck as well. And the bottom two species there, kestrel and snipe, which are species more associated with farmland, um, they are now new to the red list. So it's across a wide, it's across a range of habitats that species are being added to the red list, not just farmland. And on the amber list, um, again, quite long, 79 species. Um, and some of these, um, seven of them have moved directly from green to amber, and that includes <clears throat> some well-known and widespread species, such as the willow warbler and the mallard. You'll be very, um, <clears throat> it's, it's very surprising to see a species as common as the mallard now on the amber list. Um, and also on the amber list are species such as kingfisher, which has been on the amber list on, on all four assessments, and it's moving ever closer to the red list. So in this, um, in this assessment, Bucky 4, uh, Kingfisher is still on the red list because the population decline is 45%. Once it reaches 50%, obviously it will tip over into the red list. So some of these species are moving further and further up the red list, up the amber list, and probably in the next assessment will be on the red list. And uh, it's not just across a range of habitats um, that uh, species are being uh, added to the red and amber list, it's also across all seasons. So on the amber list, for example, there's 42 breeding species, 11 wintering species, 18 breeding and wintering species, and eight passage species. So our birds are in trouble, not just um, across a range of habitats, but um, in all seasons as well. And one of the um, largest groups of species on the red list um, are the wintering waterbirds. 
and we have excellent data on uh, changes in our water bird populations because of the long-running uh, wetland bird survey that uh, is funded by the National Parks and Wildlife Service, which Burwich Island has been uh, implementing on behalf of, of the government for, um, for many years. And some of you are probably involved in NIWEB's council will be very familiar with this um, uh, survey. But we um, monitor every winter some 600 wetland sites across the island of, Ir across the island of, of Ireland. And uh, this information is fed into, into the red list, obviously. And a couple of years ago, we produced a report um, on uh, the wetland birds, on the status of wetland birds in Ireland. And the, we, um, we showed in that report that there's been a decline of 40% in the population of our water bird species in the last 20 years. So that's almost half of the wintering water birds that, that occur in Ireland, the populations have almost halved in 20 years. So that is very serious. And these are some of the pressures and threats that are affecting our wintering water birds. And it's not climate change necessarily. We don't need to, to, to even look at climate change. The uh, reasons for these declines lie much closer to home. And um, habitat loss and modification and damage, pollution, eutrophication, aquaculture, fisheries, human disturbance, all of these things are impacting our wintering water birds. And the cumulative impacts as well of, of all of these different pressures and threats are leading to these severe declines in our water bird populations. So I'm going to talk a bit more now about um, farmland birds and um, this uh, graph of farmland bird declines um, is one that may be familiar to some of you. And it's really based on, uh, it goes back to the 1970s and it's based on atlas data. We've been producing uh, bird atlases in Ireland since the 1970s. And um, this um, farmland bird decline index is based on that atlas data. And what it shows is that between the 1970s and the 1990s, there was a huge magnitude of decline in our bird populations already detected by the bird atlases. And sorry, if you just go back, um, uh, the, um, the Bucky assessments began in the late 1990s uh, with the first assessment. And by that stage already, there had been very significant declines across a number of our farmland species. So what we've been doing in Bucky since is continuing to chart those declines. Um, and uh, unfortunately, what I'll show for, for many farmland species is that the trends are continuing to go in the wrong direction. Anita, just while you're on that slide, can I ask around that, that slight flattening from the 1990s, what, what do you attribute that to? Well, I think um, the, um, uh, there's been, well, I think what, what we'll see, um, Mark, is that the, um, uh, if, the magnitude of the decline, I think, um, is, is not as great because um, you know, because our populations are so are now so reduced that when you look at it on the scale, obviously the recent declines don't manifest themselves as significantly because the populations are already so low. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um unfortunately I don't think we can take a lot of comfort 
um, from that apparent flattening, because if we look in detail at what's happening to these populations, then their numbers and uh, their numbers and their range are continuing to, to go in the wrong direction, unfortunately, just the populations are now much smaller. So if I uh, go on to uh, look at Bucky 1, um, these are the species, the farmland species that occurred um, on the red list in Bucky 1. Um, and across most of the farmland habitats, we had species on the red list. Those that are circled there are um, Annex 1 species. So these are species um, on Annex 1 of the birds directive, and they are afforded the highest level of protection because um, under the birds directive, member states have to uh, um, have to designate special protection areas for these particular species. So at that time in Bucky 1, there was three um, of these Annex 1 species on the red list. And if we look um, at uh, the difference between Bucky 1 red list for farmland species and Bucky 4, um, we can see that um, an additional eight species have been added to the list since then. Uh, one slight good bit of comfort that we can take is that Chuck and Hen Harrier down here um, moved from red to amber, but unfortunately, um, additional species were added um, in the upland and coastal um, habitat sector. So, um, so in general, trends continue to go in the wrong direction. So Corn Creek remains on the red list um, uh, and it is an Annex 1 species and has um, special protection areas designated for it, but is joined by, by two other species, by Meadow Pippet and Windchap um, in, in relation to meadows. So you can see that, um, uh, as I mentioned, eight species are new to red between Bucky 1 and Bucky 4. Um, all farmland habitats are uh, have experienced an increase in the number of um, red listed species associated with them. Um, and uh, actually one species became extinct between Bucky 1 and Bucky 4, and that was the corn bunting. So um, these 16 farmland birds on the red list now are um, mostly common and widespread species that many people will be familiar with. So species such as red grouse, kestrel and snipe are now in serious trouble um, in, in Ireland. So what happened that these species moved um, onto the red list in the intervening period between Bucky 1 and Bucky 4? And quite simply, not enough was done to protect them. There was widespread loss and fragmentation of their habitats, and that's what caused these species to move onto the red list between Bucky 1 and Bucky 4. And this was something that the EU Commission um, flagged up with Ireland during um, the, the BIRDS case. Some of you will be familiar with the BIRDS case. Um, the European Commission uh, took a case against Ireland to say that not enough was being done to protect um, a, a number of species. And one of their complaints was that not, be, not enough was being done to um, avoid pollution and deterioration of habitats outside of designated areas, in other words, in the wider countryside. So the commission at that stage indicated that it believed that the measures taken by Ireland to protect species in the wider countryside are partial isolated measures, only some of which promote the conservation of the bird populations concerned, but which do not constitute a coherent whole. And, um, 
there has been an attempt to address the declines of species in the wider countryside. There's no doubt about that. And successive iterations of agri-environment schemes have become more targeted at these farmland species, these wider farmland species. But unfortunately, they have not been able to halt or reverse the decline um, uh, of these wider countryside species. And whilst on the one hand, the agri-environment schemes have been attempting to protect and restore farmland birds, other aspects of cap measures, including land eligibility rules, um, the uh, production supports, and other measures such as TAMs, they all continue to drive further biodiversity loss and any and are working against some of the gains that have been made from agri-environment climate measures. And the um, Irish government in 2017 produced a report to the commission responding to the um, to to the fourth to the fourth complaint of the birds directive of the birds case, and. Um, in that programme of measures report, it says that Ireland has introduced new measures and built upon existing activity. And they've highlighted some of the things that have been um, happening in, in the um, since uh, uh, 2007, since that complaint was, was issued. Um, and they include um, things like the targeted actions in gloss for species such as the corncrake, grey partridge, lapwing and twite hedgerow measures designed to benefit owls and kestrel, wild bird cover designed to uh, benefit species such as yellowhammer, and measures such as um, low input permanent pasture and traditional hay meadow measures in um, the agri-environment schemes which will benefit snipe and wind chats. And unfortunately, however, this fourth assessment shows that the, all of these species are still on the red list. And in fact, some of them have moved from amber to red. So Unfortunately, despite these agri-environment measures, since 2007, trends are still going in the wrong direction for many of these species. And of course, it's not just a failure of agri-environment measures um, which have uh, led to these continued declines. Um, there are other factors um, at play, of course, um, and one of the key ones is that um, for these species that are not Annex 1, but are red listed, um, particularly some of the farmland species such as curry, lapwing and snipe, they actually have very little protection um, in Irish legislation. So because they're not Annex 1, there's been no SPAs designated for them, and very often they're not a qualifying feature of SPAs or SACs. Under the Wildlife Act, nests and chicks are not protected from farming activity. So for ground nesting birds in particular, um, where uh, um, farming activity can destroy nests during the breeding season, during the uh, normal course of agriculture, that happens and that is also contributing to the declines of, of, um, of ground nesting birds in particular. And also other um, measures such as the EIA re agriculture regulations, which are designed to try and um, protect some of these species, the thresholds are so high that most farming activity is not um, impacted by the regulations. And um, we see the loss, continued small scale loss of biodiversity habitats is occurring uh, wi uh, widely across the country. So these are all, these reasons are also contributing to um, these declines. Um, and uh, other land use changes such as afforestation um, are are also 
contributing, and there has been uh, an attempt to uh, to address some of the concerns through various protocols um, and uh, things such um, policies such as land house for deforestation, nature impact statements for forestry projects. All of these um, uh, policies, which are trying, which are brought in to try and um, regulate afforestation, protect species, they're not always. Um, they're not always working. So land types for afforestation, uh, unfortunately, still select some habitats which are important for some red and amber listed species. So, um, and the nature impact statement for forestry projects, again, it's, it's focused on designated sites. And as I've said, um, a number of um, these red listed farmland birds, they're not Annex 1 and therefore they don't have that level of protection. And um, certainly the forestry uh, industry recognised the curlew um, in particular as being a species for which, um, which may be severely impacted by forestry. And there has been an attempt to fold the um, requirements for curlew into um, forestry legislation, but um, the other non-annex red-listed farming species are actually falling through the net. And uh, another... Um, very serious uh, threat to these farmland birds and um, particularly the groin nesting species um, is predation and this list here that I've um, highlighted um, on the left these are the groin nesting farmland birds on the red list that are being impacted by predation and um, predation is a serious and growing threat and um, in one study, uh, one of the most comprehensive studies um, carried out, it was carried out in Northern Ireland by the RSPB, but it is indicative of what's happening to our ground nesting birds. Where, um, this study uh, undertaken by uh, Murray Grant of the RSPB in, in Fermanagh and Antrim in, in the 1990s showed that up to 80% of nests and 60% of chicks were being predated and that is occurring across all of our ground nesting birds and is certainly um, a very serious contributor to why some of these species are on the red list. And we know the main culprits of um, ground nesting birds, so species such as uh, you know, um, red fox, great crow, American mink, these are all predators um, of nests and chicks. But it's not just these, it's also species which are actually themselves protected. So um, uh, so um, species such as badger and pine martin, herring gull, these are also predating ground nesting birds, the chicks and the nests of ground nesting birds. And, um, and as I say, these, these are themselves protected. So it's a very serious challenge to try and uh, address the impacts of predation and current land use policies such as afforestation and intensification these together will lead to a greater abundance of these generous, generous predators in particular such as foxes and crows in addition nests are becoming more accessible uh, because of um, fragmentation of habitats so these the habitats where these um, uh, species are nesting are becoming more accessible uh, because of fragmentation uh, to these generous predators and all of these things are working together to drive further declines of, of ground nesting birds. So are there any solutions to the problem of uh, predation in particular? Um, and one thing I just want to say is that um, I think we need to see uh, within government uh, 
a significant ramping up of predator control and nest protection measures if we want to tackle the declines in the um, ground nesting birds in, in, in Ireland. And measures such as predator fences can certainly help to protect nests from um, mammalian predators, but we need more professionally trained keep conservation keepers particularly to control the avian predators um, which are predating the chicks which do manage to, to hatch out. And um, there are initiatives such as um, the Curlew EIP, you know, which are training farmers to do predator control. And this is, I think, something that we could look at in the next agri-environment theme, pay farmers to do predator control. Farmers are not doing it to the same extent as they used to. You know, we hear a lot about, you know, the, the, the bounty that was um, uh, enforced, you know, to um, help protect uh, or to, to uh, control foxes. That's not really widely being done anymore. And many farmers, you know, what we find through the Curly EIP, where we are training and mentoring farmers to do predator control, is that they are keen to get involved in this kind of work again. And through training and mentoring, um, such as we're doing with the Curly UIP, um, this could be a measure that would be um, very beneficial to implement um, in some way in the next cap. So get farmers out doing predator control. It's not going to, uh, it's going to help control the background level of, of some of these general predators. Um, you will need professional keepers on top of that, a particular um, farm and bird hotspots where predation is a major problem. But farmers can make a real contribution to helping to control background levels of, of, of these generous predators. So just to, to, to move on, I'd talk a bit more in the last few slides of my presentation um, about um, the next uh, cap and uh, measures that um, are required to address and reverse some of these uh, declines. The um, Farming for Nature Technical Group, has, funded by the Heritage Council, has done a lot of work developing um, uh, um, developing proposed measures that will start to address some of the um, uh, declines in our biodiversity, farmland biodiversity. So, um, and what we are advocating for is this tiered approach where there are, is enhanced baseline conditionality and then more and more targeted measures being implemented in the more and more focused areas, in these areas of farmland bird hotspots and farmland biodiversity hotspots, that as the as um that more and more targeted measures are applied um within the hotspot areas. And there's been a lot of work done to identify the um, hotspots, the farmland hotspots, these areas of high nature value farmland. A lot of work has been done to map these areas. And these are the areas where um, CAP supports for biodiversity need to be focused. And um, I think one of the things that I want to make it very clear is that in order to reverse the declines in uh, our farmland birds, and therefore, in our farmland biodiversity, we need landscape scale restoration. So we need to try and protect and restore some of these habitats in, if we're ever going to reverse the declines in species such as curlew, lapwing, snipe, kestrel. These species require landscapes, not just bits and pieces of, of biodiversity on farmlands, but they need um, uh, we need to restore landscapes and, and restore ecosystems at the landscape scale. 
And some of these areas that are shown in this map are the high nature value farmland areas where these cap supports have to be targeted. And you know, there are some very promising initiatives. Um, the EIPs, which the department is co-funding with the, um, the European Union, which focus on a range of biodiversity, climate and water issues. And they're adopting this local collaborative approach. Um, and they've developed a suite of mostly small scale targeted solutions to, to some of our most uh, pressing environmental challenges. And these are the kinds of things that we really need to see ramped up and better funded and um, implemented more widely in the next uh, cap. And um, so these uh, initiatives such as the EIPs um, in the next cap, they must be of sufficient spatial scale. They must, must allow for nuanced management. They must provide for ancillary uh, measures such as capital works and advisory supports. All of these things, the EIPs are showing that all of these things, if they are in place, can really start making um, a difference. But they must also be financially attractive enough for sufficient numbers of farmers to join them to try and start implementing this landscape scale restoration. So, um, and I think that that is a huge challenge. There's no doubt about it. And um, unfortunately, I think for um, you know for the agri-food industry. I'm not sure to what extent they're recognizing the challenge that um, is, is um, that these uh, assessments such as Bucky 4 are highlighting. And um, whilst we are hearing things such, uh, I mean, the, the draft agri-food strategy to 2030, you know, has, um, uh, you know, important goals such as restoring and enhancing biodiversity um, and, you know, uh, Indicating that 10% of biodiversity, um, uh, that 10% of farms will be um, targeted for, for biodiversity, and that's great and it's really important. But let's not kid ourselves here. You know, the um, that's not going to uh, deliver the landscape scale restoration that's needed, especially not if the other 90% continues to be intensively managed. So I think that's a very important point. And um, Unfortunately, you know, I think there's indications that um, you know the the um, uh, the aim is to continue the in, um, competitiveness and the intensification of farms. So, goal one is to improve the competitiveness and productivity of, pri of primary producers, which I think on the one hand indicates that as far as the agri food strategy is concerned, very often it's going to be business as usual, and um, we. We want to see a much, you know, if if um, we're going to start to see um, some of these species being restored and enhanced, um, something has to change. And uh, the United Nations has designated the decade of 21 to 2030 as the decade for ecosystem restoration. And that's really what we need. And I think just to finish up, the scientific consensus is clear. If we do nothing, our planet's natural cycles are going to be affected forever. So it's very clear something has got to change. So thank you for listening. Thank you very much, Anita. Um, some sobering figures there within your presentation. And uh, uh, nice to see, though, that there are some solutions there. Uh, I think it's really, uh, like you describe, a, a landscape approach that is, is needed. Uh, birds don't uh, differentiate between the uh, uh, land parcel boundaries uh, when it comes to choosing where they 
they they they uh, they nest. Um, just we had a number of questions there specifically around the the uh, the, the, the figures that we were showing on the barn owls that there that there was some signs of increase of, of that population. Is there something that we can take from that or learn from that or, or, or what, what might be causing that? You might turn on your cameras. You could turn on your cameras as well, yeah. And, and Una, I could invite you back as well, join the discussion. Yes, so I think um, with barn owl, yes, there, there's, um, we're, it's a species that we monitor very closely. And as we've got some really good information um, on barn oil and um, uh, certainly the, um, in, so I think there, there there's um, some indications of recovery, you know, um, there's uh, some uh, expansion of some of its prey species occurring. And I think that's contributing to um, uh, to, to the recovery uh, of barn owl, but it's not. I think uh, it's not really an indication that the wider landscape is being restored sufficiently to uh, to protect and enhance its population. So, um, so the, the, you you refer to some of the 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 agri environmental schemes, the the impact that they were having. Or, or not having in, in uh, on uh, improving uh, bird populations. Um, what, what would you like to see happening in the next round of the common agricultural policy to, to try and get that better uh, joined up thinking at a landscape level, but um, indeed to, to tackle that? I know you mentioned about that predator control side of things, but I'm, I'm just interested on that. You mentioned it on, during one of your slides that uh, forestation had an impact on, on, on predator populations. Maybe you could just explain that to us. Yeah, so um, one of the impacts of afforestation is that it provides cover for jealous predators such as um, crows and foxes. So it provides, you know, um, places for foxes to hold up, to hold up during the day and um, provides nesting habitat for, um, uh, for gray crows and, and other corvids. And it's the um, it, and also I think just the the habitat fragmentation that afforestation brings so it brings all of these species in closer to um, uh, to these more open landscapes where the ground nesting birds in particular species such as curlew um, uh, curlew and snipe you know they like these wide open landscapes that's where they thrive best and. By introducing uh, forestry into these open landscapes, you're bringing the predators closer and closer to these populations. Una, if I could just ask you around this, I suppose, this general debate about, um, you know, the, the, the economic drivers behind, obviously, agriculture. Um, how, how do we, how do we uh, change the, 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 the dynamics here to, to actually favour uh, rewarding uh, farmers uh, to, uh, to, to produce environmental services, ecosystem services. Um, is there enough coming from the marketplace? I know there's a lot coming from on its way from, from CAP. Um, I know you, you've, you have some, some thoughts on that. Thanks, Mark. <clears throat> well, I suppose the question could be reframed as, um, you know, what are the costs of not turning uh, the situation around and of 
uh, not finding solutions because it's not just, of course, that we're seeing the declines in farmland biodiversity, but we're seeing all the other indicators going in the wrong direction as well. And the um, yesterday we saw the EPA reporting on ammonia emissions, um, as well as other national emissions that we are continually uh, in breach of. So um, the cap is where we're not uh, exactly over the moon with what we've seen in the cap so far. We feel like it's, it's not as ambitious environmentally as it needs to be. Um, but we do think the Irish government has uh, um, an opportunity to um, increase the ambition. And we saw some good indicators at the last cap consultative committee with the proposal at least for 30% of our parcel to be um, included as eligible eligible land. Um, but all through all through the cap, we, uh, as Anita pointed out, we, we need to see much greater ambition and targeting of public money towards public goods. So in terms of the, the market itself, I know that customers are demanding that um, change um, that they're, you know, the, the companies of the products they buy are much more sustainable. So I think the market signal is growing um, that people want, they're, they're going to vote with their euros and they're going to vote for um, products that they see are much more environmentally sensitive. Now, my concern is, and, and I really do acknowledge that, far, and I said it to you earlier, I'm from a dairy farming background and, and we did rely on that milk check coming in in the 1980s. Um, and uh, so farmers are not getting enough for what they produce. So um, this is, I think, and, and there are increasing demands on them. So, you know, that I don't have an easy answer for how that should be turned around, but I really would like us to see um, a focus on, you know, and cutting production and focusing on much more high-end organic products, I think. It would be would be an avenue for us. There are there is a market for this more high quality produce, and I'm not saying that the current produce isn't meeting standards and isn't of quality. I'm sure I could get into a load of trouble for saying that, but I mean that that focus on um, less is more is what I would think is the way we need to go. And we know internationally, I mean. I know that we produce and export 90% of our produce um, and it goes around the world, but globally we're seeing, um, we're, we're seeing on one hand demand for, for products, but we're also seeing a growing push for um, much greater environmental ambition. And the youth movements around the world, I think is pushing this and it's very important. Um, and to go back to the original thing I said, Mark, is what are the costs of not doing this? You know, I feel like we're robbing we're robbing gener the future generations of, of their chance of a healthy planet. And that is, is we just have to take it seriously. Thanks. Thanks, Una. Pat, uh, lots of questions coming through. Yeah, plenty. Uh, I'll just start with one uh, uh, directed at Anita. Should more agri-environmental uh, agri scheme activity be targeted towards declining bird species that have relatively large uh, populations, as opposed to uh, the species that are in uh, that seem to be in terminal de terminal decline. Sorry, and uh, maybe that's a. Uh, I'm, I'm reading the question, so don't, don't blame the messenger on the, on the, the use of the the, the terminal decline. 
Yeah, that's um, uh, <clears throat> that's an interesting question, Pat. And I think uh, I, I would say that dietary environment measures um, can do certain things, um, and certain uh, um, other much more focused and nuanced um, measures may be required for, for for these species, which are you know regarded as being internal decline. And I don't know at what point do you say a species is internal decline. You know. Curly of 150 pairs, but Dunlin of only 10 or 20 pairs left in Ireland, you know. So um, we haven't got to the Dunlin level yet with Curly. So um, there is still, you know, an opportunity to try and see if that species, and there's a lot of good work going in through um, a range of initiatives, not just the Curly IP, but also the Curly Conservation Programme, you know, uh, by the MPWS, um, you know, which is working very directly, you know, um, to try and implement these small scale measures. So I think agri-environment schemes have, have a certain role to play, you know, and um, you know, other more targeted interventions may be required, say by the National Parks and Wildlife Service through um, you know, through um, additional measures. So um well I, I suppose that the tenure of the question was, was I suppose to look at those species that are at in decline but not not in serious trouble yet and is there a need for more focus on those before they be, uh, uh, go down to to a level of of uh, serious trouble um oh, oh certainly certainly you know I, I think there is and um I mean, what i would also say is that you know when you start to implement measures for farmland biodiversity you know that um uh are targeted at a particular bird species, you know, a wide other suite of um, different groups of organisms will also benefit from that, you know. So, you know, measures, for example, um, you know, uh, you know, measures for curlew, you know, will also benefit the other breeding waders, you know, and they will also benefit other species such as skylark, meadow pivot, et cetera, you know, species that are, um, you know, uh, you know, are also declining, but not to the same extent. So, you know, I, I think it's, um, you know, I, I was certainly, um, you know, I think we do need to focus on the uh, the most endangered species. That's not always going to be an agri-environment measure, an agri-environment um, intervention, but um, this is where I think we need to sit down, you know, and work out what are the, what are, what are the, um, measures that are going to be most beneficial and deliver the most benefits. I think, yeah, there's definitely a, a serious conversation to be had around that. I'll give you two questions together. Um, one is, uh, how much damage will the dairy expansion, which has occurred over the past uh, few years due to bird populations in, in Ireland over the coming years? And do you genuinely think that this expansion needs to be halted or immediately reversed? And a second question then uh, relates to in farmers who are operating in relatively intensive situations, is there, are there things that they can do to support uh, farmland birds? Yeah, so I think maybe I'll just take the second for question uh, first. Um, Pat, uh, so certainly, I mean, uh, and I think this is, you know, um, this is where uh, projects such as the Bride Project are uh, so, um, so um, crucial in demonstrating that all farmers can take small scale actions that will improve um, biodiversity. So even on intensive dairy farms, there are 
things that farmers can do that will benefit biodiversity. And they may not be, uh, you know, they probably on these intensive dairy farms, they won't have the suite of really endangered species, you know, because they'll already have gone, you know, they're, they're already no longer occurring on those intensive dairy farms, but other species are there. And there are measures that farmers can do to protect those species, not just the birds, but also the, but the other biodiversity and, you know, to try and stop those moving further up, you know, the, the, the red and amber list, you know, so without a doubt, there's many things that can do, that can do, and, and, you know, there are people, you know, um, who can talk much more authoritatively about this than me, but, you know, I would point to the Bride Project as being, you know, a really good example of, of demonstrating how those um, dairy farms, you know, intensive dairy farms can still make a contribution. And um, can you remind me what the first question was? Okay, well, <laughs> so, it was basically asking about the, the um, uh, maybe it's one that Una might, might, might want to take uh, in, in relation to the, the, extent, uh, the intensification and the, the, I suppose the further growth of dairy. Yeah, I wasn't very clear in the question. Sorry, could you just? <laughs> okay, I have to, 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 to find it again. Uh, sorry. Uh, how much damage will the dairy expansion, which has occurred in the last few years due to bird populations in Ireland over the coming years, and do you genuinely think that this expansion needs to be halted immediately or reversed? So um, just in relation to the, uh, like an example of a bird that is, uh, I think, showing declines um, relative to changes in the landscape in the last um, 15 years, like the Kestrel has seen a 28% decline in breeding population between 2006 and 2016. Now, um, uh, research going back to prior to that shows that it was starting to decline before then as well. So um, Kestrel, I mean, that is, I think, a response to the, the changes um, in the landscape and more homogenization of the landscape. And uh, that it's, and, and in particular um, for its prey species, which is uh, small mammals. Um, so, I mean, we are, the, the overall declines that we're talking about are getting worse. So what we're, and we're not seeing any recovery of the species where we saw catastrophic losses. So yes, I think that the uh, intensification, we need to pull back on the throttle big time, um, not only for farmland birds, but to address the other environmental impacts, including water quality declines um, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, you know, if I could just uh, add in yeah. as well, you know, that um, so further expansion of um, intensive grassland involves, you know, for, for the dairy industry involves, you know, the uh, continued loss of these small scale areas, you know, which, uh, you know, so, um, you know, drainage of corners of wetlands, for example, you know, drainage of brushy pastures and um, all of these small scale things, which, you know, have contributed to species such as snipe now being on the red list, you know? So, I mean, we're only gonna see that problem getting worse and more of these kind of, you know, um, it's those, the species that rely on this homogenous landscape, you know, that, um, you know, are, are, you know, they are going to continue to be affected and are going to continue to decline, you know, as these biodiversity rich little areas 
continue to be lost. So I don't think that there's any doubt the continued expansion of the dairy industry, if it leads to um, further losses of these little areas of biodiversity-rich habitats, will certainly have a, a serious impact. We have a question here in relation to forestry and how, how do we tally ambitious forestry planting goals with trying to prevent further damage to habitats and risking further decline in bird populations? And I suppose there's, there's different types of forestry within that, but maybe if, if you could comment on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, so what we have seen uh, uh, so far is inadequate, um, let's say, sighting of a forestation. It, there's no strategic, um, let's say, plan for where forestry should go. Um, so, and on when, and it, a lot of it's been targeted, I would say, and marketed towards high nature value farmland and marginal land, as it's called, which is often the best for biodiversity in the West and Northwest. Um, but not just in those areas. Again, it could be a, a marginal, a, a field uh, in County Limerick, um, even that would be rich in, in biodiversity. So what we're seeing is that there's not enough um, understanding or assessment of the biodiversity that is there um, on these sites and um, before a forestation is considered or as a forestation, as a forestation application comes in front of the Forest Service. It's very inadequate. Um, the land types for forestation documents targets lands, which are also good for birds. Um, so, you know, we have to go back to, to brass tacks and to really um, change uh, this. Now, we had also proposed um, a forestry sensitivity map um, for, for farmland birds, which we, um, we think could be a, a helpful way to identify important areas for birds, which would be able to give more information uh, on these important sites. But um, as we know, for, forestry is going through a, a somewhat of a review at the moment. Um, and we really hope that the outcome of that would be um, forestry in the right place. I mean, we know we need more trees and the right kinds of trees, and we need a, a productive timber industry. Um, but, you know, it just cannot come at the loss of, of, of the biodiversity that we have. Thanks, Una. There's a, a question there are about the situation across other European countries and are, are there countries that could act as a, exemplars in, in what they have done to protect uh, uh, bird life? Well, I think, um, I mean, all European countries are facing the same problems um, as we are. And, um, you know, are, uh, and I think all, often actually Ireland is held up as being, um, you know, <laughs> one of the better examples, um, particularly in relation to uh, EIPs and locally led initiatives, you know, particularly the Burren, you know, which is really, I suppose, you know, um, it, is you know um, one of the best known examples mm -hmm. of um, the locally led approach delivering you know uh, biodiversity at the, at the local scale. So I mean I think you know and it's great Ireland is leading the way you know on some on, on you know on some of these initiatives and um, so, you know I think you know we have the answers here ourselves certainly for some of these problems and. Um, you know, uh, I think um, 
you know, we, we've, we've taken, you know, I think great strides in, in, in trying to, in a small way, you know, through examples such as the IPs in, in addressing those. So, I think, I think, Anita, there's a couple of, there is a follow on question in relation to that. And it's, it's about the, the approach of uh, uh, results based. How can we integrate results based? I, I suppose it's been on a, 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 a kind of a landscape, it hasn't been, well, I suppose the, the, the hen harrier has been focused on, on bird species, but how can we focus uh, a results based schemes on a broader uh, a range of uh, bird species, if you want. So I think um, you know the um, the results based approach. Uh, you know, has so we've shown. Um, you know, the existing suite of, of EIPs. You know, there there are numer quite a number of EIPs across the country now. Where. Um, the, uh, they are targeted at um, these particular hotspots, you know, and through these EIPs, and I would hope that the ambition is to continue and expand them, you know, the, a lot of them are due to end, you know, the, the, at the end of this year or next year, you know, and I think that it would be um, imperative that we continue and build on these uh, programmes. Um, and it's resor it is about resourcing, past. there's no doubt about it. I mean, these uh, you know, and it's not traditionally been the way uh, supports have been delivered because, you know, there are additional staffing requirements needed to make these EIPs effective, you know, but the money that goes into staffing the project, so the deployment of the ecologists and the, the farm advisors, um, they actually are the, um, they are the things that make the difference on the ground to the biodiversity. I would argue that um, you know, GOSS, um, you know, it was it was obviously it was an improvement on what went before, but GOSS very often, you know, the farmer was left to his own devices in terms of or her own devices in terms of um, you know, how to deliver these measures. And with the EIPs and the target measure, we've seen this much more focused approach. And that has delivered much better biodiversity. So although you have more resources required at the staffing. And you do get better biodiversity results out of it, you know. So, I mean, the answer is, you know, that we, we you know, we replicate these EIPs. They may seem top heavy in terms of staffing, you know, uh, but um, that's what's required. We need to accept that because they are delivering the biodiversity much better than the, you know, the broad brush approach of GOSS. Question there in relation to the, I suppose, given the lack of trees in Ireland, the importance of, of hedgerows. And I suppose we've had a, quite a bit of focus uh, in, in over the last year in hedgerows. But do you believe uh, that the I suppose better management of hedgerows by farmers can contribute significantly to, to uh, again to, to to the aims of, of birdwatch? Yeah, I think there's there's no doubt about that. That, that you know um, uh, the you know that management of hedgerows you know has a very important part to play and. But I think what we need to be clear on is the type of hedgerow is very important. And, you know, um, an old hedge that's been there for a long time has a lot more biodiversity associated with it than a newly established hedge, you know. So, um, you know, it's about the quality of the hedge as well, you know. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the protection, you know, Una knows a lot more about this than I do, you know, but the protect, you know, the, 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 you know it's the protection of these older established hedgerows, which is going to... Um, 
deliver more in the way of biodiversity than you know than, than the newer hedges. So um, I don't know if you want to add anything. They're certainly an important feature, but establishing new hedgerows in open landscapes isn't always a good thing either. So um, I don't know if you want to add anything, Una. Well, obviously hedgerows are really, really important, um, but I suppose, yeah, the managing and the quality of, of the, the hedgerows uh, is is really is really key um, for a wide range of species. Um, but also, I just think it's important to note that you can't replace an old hedgerow uh, and the biodiversity value of it with a brand new, let's say, just white thorn hedge. You know, having multi, you know multiple species of native Irish provenance in a hedgerow, having it being diverse, allowed to grow tall and wide, where supported and not going to impact farmers um like this is this is really important um really important measure um and you know we really think that the eia regulations in relation to in relation to thresholds and the removal of hedgerows uh, have to be have to be really seriously looked at because there's inadequate monitoring of what's being taken out we saw one report from the hedge layers association saying that there was over I think it was about 300 kilometers of hedgerow taken out in a, in a five-year period. I mean, if those are old hedgerows, we're losing a lot. Um, and so I just think, you know, we can't be robbing Peter to pay Paul either. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, uh, Una and Anita. We're, we're well over time this morning, but look, I'm happy to let it run there because it's really important conversation. So uh, Anita, thank you for your, your excellent presentation. And uh, we will, um, make that available to, to everybody on our website as well. I, I think for me, there's, there's, there's a significant training element here as well in terms of educating uh, farmers and the, the wider industry and how we can create that more enabling and supportive environment to, to ensure that we, we try and get to that stage, that, uh, that landscape level approach. So um, thanks, Pat, for helping with questions. Uh, I'd like to thank our production team, Andy Boland and Yvonne Maher, for all their work in the background. And uh, next week, we'll be speaking to Thomas Duffy, who's a dairy farmer and also past president of Macron the Pharma. And uh, Thomas is going to be giving us a farmer's perspective on biodiversity emissions on, on water quality and water quality. So my, the, the, this maybe other side of the, the debate. And uh, so we let our, our viewers aside, you know, where, where, how, how, how can we, we, we can uh, create, create some ground for the two to, to come together? Because I think that's what really is needed for us all to be working towards achieving this, uh, these, these targets. So with that, uh, we... And I think, Mark, just Mark, a, a, maybe a final comment. And I think it is very difficult to, to get in and look at the entirety of the, the, the problem in relation to the, the decline in birds and deal with it all in one topic. And it may be something we need to come back to and deal Absolutely. with on a, on a landscape by landscape basis and, and look at individual landscapes and what we might be able to do and what farmers might be able to do in those in those spaces. So I would yeah. look forward to, I suppose, continuing this this conversation Absolutely. and maybe get a little bit more specific. If and and I think there's, a, there's an economics dimension here as well that's, that has to be uh, addressed as well how can we make that work for us as well to to achieve the the targets um so that with i think somebody commented uh, there in the, the questions uh we we can't be green if we're in the red so if farmers are in the red 
how can they be green? And uh, I think it's a fair comment as well. And uh, we hope to see you next Friday morning. Thanks again. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.